Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. I'm JP, your host. With me as always are my fearless co-hosts, Marcus. Auga. And Joe. Auga chaka, auga chaka. Oh, we've been watching that trailer too much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with us this week, we have special guests, Heather. Why, hello. And Cody. Ahoy. So, um, Heather is Joe's cousin. Mm-hmm. And Cody and Heather are a package deal. They come together. Right. Yeah. And Cody is actually an artist. When I can. When I can. He's a, he's a when I can artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like so, most of us. So hopefully, yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, we're looking forward to hearing from both of them about the comic that we're going to be talking about today. The comic we're talking about today is... Hybrid Earth. I can't say that last name. <laughs> Do it. Give it a try. Okay, Rustin, don't hate me. I'm going to go with Rustin Petray as the writer and Frederick Allison Jr. as the artist. So Marcus and I were hanging out the other day, and he brought this uh, over off of his shelf, and he had actually picked this up when he was in Sacramento a little while ago from Empire Comics Vault, right? Yes, that's correct. Right, so you uh, you actually know one of the one of the creators, right? Yeah, Frederick Allison is a good friend of mine. Um, we used to go to a, a, a group that meets called SCCG uh, every Tuesday night in Sacramento. and it's a Sacramento comics. comics group meetup thing. Right? Sacramento Comics Creators Group. Uh-huh. SCGG, G, that's right. Letters, all right. <laughs> Acronym. It's so, A-OK. So, Hybrid Earth. So, um, it's actually a really interesting story. It mm-hmm. is uh, taking place in the future after terrible nanobots have rained down upon basically the entire Earth. And some folks died, right? Yeah. And then some folks got mutated. They were mutated able to evolve. with machines. Yeah. Yes. They basically evolved with them. So, we've got a blurb in the beginning that they have here. So, Marcus, why don't you go ahead and read that for us? So, spoilers. I'm reading the first page. In December of 2015, a new weapon of mass destruction was created and accidentally set off during a transportation. <laughs> That's a great. <laughs> I like that right now. Like already off the off the bat, it's like we made this really really dangerous thing. Ship it USPS. What happens? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, it fused nuclear and nanobot technology into a super weapon capable of obliterating on a scale never before seen. The damage was devastating. In the first few days of the aftermath, the sky was filled with beautiful green glow. The glow was nothing more than nuclear-charged nanomachines falling from the atmosphere. And then wackiness ensues. Yeah, so basically this story takes place how many years after that? I mean, it's a ways, right? I don't think actually, does it say? What comes of this is that a percentage of the population that was exposed to the nanobots actually evolved to have essentially machines as part of their body. You know, it's kind of like what you would imagine. You know what it actually really reminds me of is it reminds me of Gundam or in the States, Battle Angel Alita, where you have characters that have basically, you know, biotic, bionic, whatever you want to call it, replacement pieces. Mm -hmm. But of course, this, it basically organically, I guess, kind of organically, but it sort of grew on its own. It wasn't something that they were like, you know what I want? I want vacuums in my fingers. But some people just woke up one day, vacuum fingers, (laughs) you know? That would suck. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, like it. Oh, you fit right in around here. (laughs) So, um... It's got a little bit of the Akira sort of thing. It does, it does. It's nice. It's, It's cool because it's very cyberpunk. Let's get that oh, out of the yeah. way right away. Very cyberpunk, which right away basically gives Joe and I like a giant sci-fi boner mm-hmm. because we we love ourselves some some cyberpunk all the way back from the days of Shadowrun. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So that that part is really interesting. And what's cool about it is it, it has sort of homages to some of the greats 
And there's definitely a very Blade Runner-y kind of feel, especially in the palette, especially in all the neon bright sort of, yeah. you know, and almost the, garish colors. Yeah, and the following a detective around. Right, lots of the, internal monologue. Yeah, through the gritty underbelly of the future city. Yeah, I mean, the city, it's it's not post-apocalyptic. It's no. sort of dystopian. Mm-hmm. Because there's definitely a, you know, normal, there, yeah. sustainable society going on, but there's this sort of subculture of people. What do they call them? Hybrids, right? Yeah. There's this subculture of essentially what they call hybrids, where people who have been affected by the nanobots survived and grown these interesting appendages or had something happen internally to them that makes them part man, part machine. And they are kind of like second class citizens, but at the same time have abilities that normal citizens don't have. Mm. And so it's got this interesting opportunity to comment on prejudices and lifestyle or race relations and things like that. And it's this sort of dark, gritty world and has this very noir sort of feel to it. Lots of internal monologue, an interesting kind of reluctant hero for the main character. Mm -hmm. Very flawed, definitely. I mean, the first fight is him basically getting involved in someone else's case that he's already been told to back off on. Yeah. So he's not getting it handed to him, too. Oh, and he gets his ass kicked (laughs) several times in the first book. Yeah, absolutely. Which is always refreshing to see the, the hero not... You know, just want people and then stand triumphantly on their defeated corpse. Yeah, absolutely infallible heroes are not terribly interesting. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the kind of reluctant hero, Mm -hmm. which seems to sort of be who our our main character is. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, some have greatness thrust upon them. And some thrust with greatness. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) that was bad. (laughs) (laughs) So it starts out with our main character, right? And his name is Xander Hastings, and he's a detective. Mm-hmm. And the- looking into someone else's case, basically, he seems to have some history with the case. It's not real clear why he's super motivated to get involved in this, but it's definitely personal, it sounds like. Yeah. And basically gets his butt kicked. And then his little floating, you know what it reminded me of? It's this little floating robot guy, but it reminded me of the little training bots in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. They kind of float around and zap people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's his R2-D2 guy, basically. Basically, yeah. yeah. You know, there but seems to be a little bit of a relationship there. Softball-sized mm-hmm. robot. No, called. he even calls it R2 at one point. Oh, yeah. yeah but he basically, the name for it is actually Link. Mm-hmm. And did you guys notice that he doesn't do a lot of, like, winning battles? <laughs> he basically gets his butt kicked and eventually is like, fine, Link, can you just save me now? <laughs> and his little friend's like, zap, and just zaps people, and then then he wins. <laughs> but, like, yeah. he can't actually actually legitimately win a fight on his own. I think he's got to get credit for trying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, at least he's trying, but I would, hey. too, call in the softball-sized shocking death machine to come yeah. take over if I'm losing hard. Absolutely. Yeah. And at least he can take a punch as well. <laughs> He most certainly can take yeah, a punch. I he mean, takes it like right in the face a couple times. Yeah. Just and he's just a it. squishy human. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. In a world dealing with all these hybrids, because yeah. as you can imagine, the, first the criminal is, element yeah. is most of the time, seemingly so far anyway, hybrids. Yeah, I mean the first guy he's fighting is big reprobate, and it's part like bulldozer or something. I don't know, dude. He's basically juggernaut kind of guy, man. Yeah. He's intensely powerful, physically powerful. You know, then other guys yeah. have all kinds of strange abilities where. We talked to somebody later. Was it Calm? Oh, Calm, yeah. Calm, was that right? Yeah. His little informant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting character. Interesting character. So anyway, so let's, we, we've chatted a little bit about the basic premise. So what did we think about the story? Like always on the Geek Life podcast, we break it into two sections. We'll first talk about the story, the writing, the character development, the, the universe, and then we'll break it off and talk a little bit about the art. So first, keeping our comments specifically to the story and the, and the world, what did we think? 
But you hit it right on the head when you said that it's a great, great like noir type story. Definitely. Um, not to get too much into the, into the arts right now, but you know the amount of, of black and, and darkness there is in this story l- lends it to that sort of feel. Mm. And because the character is is a little uh, on the weaker side, you know, not Superman. I feel like you tend to associate with him better. Um, you know, relate to him because he's not a god. Basically, he's someone at, at the reader's level that is just trying to do what he thinks is the right thing. And you can tell that he's going to find victory with his smarts and his detective skills, not with his physical prowess. Yeah. And that's made clear right away in the first like two pages, three pages, where he basically gets exploded through a wall <laughs> by yeah. El Jacrenato. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's interesting because the character right away becomes this guy who's like, his, his strengths are not physical. In a world where there are these altered super beings mm-hmm. that very much have these sort of mutant-like powers to be able to put themselves kind of a rung above the other folks around. And so he's basically dealing with people that are kind of out of his class. And he's going to have to use his mind and his skills as a detective and connections and whatnot to be successful. So right away, that makes an interesting character, someone you can get behind. And I would imagine creates a sort of story for the storyteller that forces them to make it interesting instead of like, I punch things with my fists and that's woo, that's how I win things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's nice because it's not just, you know, hit it really hard and now I have what I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's going to have to actually be an interesting sort of spaghetti plot, you know? Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that uh, Xander seems to have an attitude to him. You know, he has the sort of sarcastic... Uh, <laughs> Problem with authority. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's just one of those types of guys, but at the same time, he's choosing to be a detective. So it's like, he's not just a street thug or a thief or something like that. He's actually trying to do what he thinks is, is right, no matter how many times he gets his ass handed to him. Yeah, he seems to be one of those kind of characters that has a moral sense, sense of justice, a sense of right and wrong that is kind of beyond what the law, the letter of the law is. That he's the kind of guy that's going to stick his neck out beyond what you're self-serving, concerned about the politics of policing and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, he seems to be the kind of guy who's like, no, I'm going to solve this case because it's the right thing to do, not because I want to have a good mark on my career and mm-hmm. get promoted. You know, he definitely feels like a guy that's not concerned with that kind of stuff right out of the gate. I mean, it's, it, they do. So I think what all this is to say, just to sort of combine our thoughts together here, it feels like there's a lot of really good character development. That happens right in the beginning. Maybe not development is the right, maybe not the right word, but it, they communicate who the character is yes. in a very clear way, very quickly in one issue and still have some interesting things happen and leave you with kind of like, I want to know what happens next. Yeah. Now, one thing I had a little bit of a problem with. Here we go. <laughs> Would you like the battle axe? I got it. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, they do a lot of this great kind of, I right, say so they, they do the world building. Mm. And make it very interesting and complex environment. And then they do the character building, very interesting, complex guy. But they don't really have a, this is why this guy is in this environment. Sure. There's not, I didn't really catch anything that really puts him in there. Like why he's on the force, why he's in the hybrid investigation unit. He seems like the kind of person that would not be in it. Well, you know, and this I think is part of, Essentially, coming to the defense of the comic, yeah. I would say that this is just part of that kind of issue one-itis, where yeah. oh, you do not have the luxury of being like, and here is the entire story of this character, and get into stuff that you just don't have yeah. the flexibility or really the patience of the reader to get into. Oh, yeah. You have to build an emotional bank account with your with your reader to make them interested enough to be able to roll with you when you do some 
sort of character describing yeah. and character development because character development isn't like, ooh, that's sparkly and exciting and interesting and oh, it yeah. keeps me wanting to read. What happens next? Wow, look at the fight. Wow, I'm left with a cliffhanger. Character development doesn't work that way. Character yeah. development is like somebody has already decided I like this character and they desire to learn more mm -hmm. and then you can do that. And right. so that's just the way it goes with issue so ones, I think. Kind of an unfair comparison, totally. though, is... Um, oh, wait, I didn't even hear what you were going to say I, next. <laughs> I, I agree right. with you already, Joe. Oh, I trust okay. you implicitly. It's totally unfair. That, well, it's, that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that made my argument <laughs> so much easier. Grimble, grimble, grimble. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> cool. So, unfair comparison. Okay, unfair comparison. Uh, Straczynski's new book. Definitely unfair comparison. <laughs> yeah, J. Michael Straczynski. So, Straczynski's new book, The Dream Police... How is that, by the way? It was actually really good. Yeah. So it is the people who, like the police agency who keep like nightmares at bay and nice. people who are dreaming from like really freaking out. And when they become self-aware and start like ruining the dreamscape. Interesting. But the, the main characters are two detectives. And, no. Yeah. Pff, go figure. <laughs> Focusing on one primarily. Sure. And the way he introduces them gives them like this really interesting character build, but also kind of tells, all right, all right, so this is why he fits into this dream dream world that is also. So it shares with you some of his motivations, but still is not a slog. No, it's issue. not like a ten-page introduction of the Game of Thrones lineage <laughs> recap. <laughs> this feels like an unfair comparison. <laughs> It is. I, Maybe. Feel, I feel like you're being unfair right but now. But I do think that if you're going to establish this world, this right. world with all these bionic pieces and stuff like that, why is this guy in this world? Why is he important? And if you don't have any connection whatsoever, it's a, it gets a little like disjointed. Totally. Yeah. You don't really get a connection with the character until you know why that character is so important in this world. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I do. I wish that there was a little bit more it just, explanation. Yeah. Just needed and it that does, little bridge. And it doesn't need to be a lot. No, it doesn't. No. But I would argue that it is very difficult to make that work in issue one and make us still want to read issue two. Yeah. And so... I agree with the issue one-itis. That's your yeah. opportunity to snag them sure. and make sure they want to come back for number two. And I'll, my life story is not going to cover that. It's sure, not going to get anybody yeah, excited yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. But... I think there's still a little spot to just kind of tie it together and we, go, ah, that's why. It could have even been something as simple as, you know, something happens to the character or whatever. And just under his breath, it's like, not again. And then runs off. Like, that's enough to be like, okay, yeah, there's something subtle. going on here. Right. So it doesn't have to be a lot. I yeah. agree with you, Heather. It or, doesn't have to be this big explanation. Yeah, when but I do think that it takes a lot of finesse yeah, and it's not easy. When he's yeah. fighting with the juggernauty guy. Juggernauty. Juggernauty. Yeah. The, the Juggernauty. <laughs> or El Juggernauty. That's next year's Halloween costume. Thanks for that. That's going to be good. You're welcome. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> Dominatrix Juggernaut. All right. That's a meme. You think that's a helmet? <laughs> okay. Sorry. Oh. Oh, stop! Stop apologizing. <laughs> yeah, those are those are good. You're sitting in a room with just a bunch of ridiculous pictures on the wall. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all good. <laughs> anyway, you're saying so with the juggernaut guy in the beginning. Yeah, if he had just mentioned like, what does he say about him? Like, this is the most intense hybrid I've ever come across. If he had mentioned like when he first came across him or why he's sneaking in on this guy's case, just that much. Yeah, would be. Or even some foreshadowing, like mm -hmm. yeah, just 
a picture of maybe a hybrid person that he was in love with that like disappeared or so, who was that? I do feel I do feel like this is all sort of colored by the fact that this is an indie book, right? Yeah. And so if we're talking about it on this podcast, there is a level of expectation for there to be rough edges. Oh yeah. Um, right. Not saying that everything right. isn't solid in here. Sure. You know, if that's the one problem I had. That's a good start. You're but I do shape. feel like... Yeah. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I just said, yeah, if that's all that's wrong, that's the one thing, you're in good shape, right? That's Absolutely. the worst thing you could do, yeah. I do feel like, to Heather's point, I do feel like it, it is kind of like a little bit brute force storytelling, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not... There's not a lot of finesse. It's kind of like point A to point B, keep going, tell the story, don't really explain the motivations, push forward. Yeah. It's almost like kind of reading an outline instead of drawing these connections between things and getting you intrigued about why, not just what. Now, that's not to say that this doesn't make you interested and curious about what happens next. And I would say that the way this issue ends is very effective and it makes me really want to know what happens next. But at the same time, I think that that probably would be one of the weaker points of it. But really, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's not like enough to make me not be curious. If I saw the next issue on a shelf, I'd grab it right away. Yeah. See, and I, that, I actually don't perceive that as a problem, really, because for me, there's a certain payoff when you don't know any information about what's connecting this character to the story. And you sort of get used to the idea that they're a character in this landscape and they're just sort of going by the numbers and, and they're, you know, doing their routine. And then all of a sudden on one issue, it hits you with like, and this is why it's extremely important. Sure. And then I'm just like, oh, snap, this guy, you know, one time he had a <laughs> well, and bionic friend. And it is, it's it's a really strong um They shoot my bionic dog. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, whatever whatever way he connects, uh, the, you know, Xander to the world. Right. Um, it Which can, is something we have to look forward to. It, yeah, yeah, it can be something that hits you really, really hard. Like, yeah. for example, uh, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the cartoon series, the, uh, TMNTs on Nickelodeon. I haven't read the comics a whole lot. But my five-year-old loves the cartoon series, so we watched that. And when they first spoilers, <laughs> when they first reveal that Karai is actually Splinter's daughter, like I was like, what? There was nothing leading up to that point whatsoever, and I'm extremely satisfied that I have this information now. And I get really, really stoked. And you could probably that, go back and watch stuff and see, yeah, if it's done well anyway. That that has been taken into account the whole way. Exactly. And that it wasn't just be like, we need a plot change. Bang, there we go. This mm -hmm. person's related to that person. <laughs> yeah. So for me, the the not linking the the character quite to the situation that he's in isn't isn't a big deal because I just see him uh, in the first issue at least as just the protagonist. And if they decide sure. to throw a bombshell in later on why it's significant that he's in the situation, then all the better for me because I get that rush of like yeah. reader's adrenaline that you know goes along with. Yeah, it, I mean, being I'm, rewarded I'm, for reading more than one issue of story. Right. I definitely agree. But a plot twist is different than. You know, the kind of crucial information of what this guy is doing here. Yeah, having like, the clear motivations, I think, is the is the Yeah, if was the concern. If watching the turtles, they had never mentioned the ooze, and it's just four giant turtles kicking ninjas' just asses because? in downtown New York. <laughs> it's not that bad though. No, I mean, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. See, anyway, so, I, I see it as situational though, because sure. he's a police officer. So there's oh, yeah, there's yeah. his reason for being in the middle That's of true. all the shit. That's is true. That he has to do it for a lot. Why he's taking on cases that aren't his own, that story that I can look forward to later on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it definitely leaves you with sort of curious. So yeah. uh, any final thoughts about the story of Hybrid Earth? All right, well, why don't we go ahead and take a quick musical break. When we get back, we'll continue talking about Hybrid Earth by Rustin Patre and Frederick Ellison Jr. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us.
Welcome back to Geek Life Podcast. We're talking about Hybrid Earth by Rustin Petray and Frederick Allison Jr. We just finished talking about the story. We're going to get into the art in a second. But I was thinking about story. And I was thinking, what would be better than be able to read a story without having to read? And I thought, oh, if I could like hear it. And then I thought, I'm a brilliant inventor. I'm going to make millions. But then, oh, yeah, audible.com already gives you that opportunity. Bastards. Nice. Beat us to it. It's just like the time that I thought I, I made up the plot for Quantum Leap. It just, <laughs> that realization sinks in and you're just like, man, that wasn't me. <laughs> so the Geek Life podcast is sponsored by Audible. You can go to audibletrial.com forward slash geek life to get your free audiobook download and try one month of their excellent service. For that entire month, you get 30% off of their incredibly huge catalog of, I want to say at this point, over 200,000 books. Bigger every day. Absolutely. And That's we really genuinely do. <laughs> we all, we all, we all really genuinely use it. It's a very good service. And because of that, Joe has a recommendation. Joe? So in the cyberpunky vein, I have Cinder by Marissa Meyer. So Cinder is a cyberpunk Cinderella. Nice. That sounds Sweet. awesome. Nice. Humans and androids crowd the raucous streets of New Beijing. A deadly plague ravages the population. From space, a ruthless lunar people watch, waiting to make their move. No one knows that Earth's fate hinges on one girl. Cinder, a gifted mechanic, is a cyborg. She's a second-class citizen with a mysterious past. Reviled by her stepmother and blamed for her stepsister's illness, but when her life becomes intertwined with the handsome Prince Kai, she suddenly finds herself at the center of an intergalactic struggle and a forbidden attraction. Caught between duty and freedom, loyalty and betrayal, she must uncover secrets about her past in order to protect her world's future. Well, that sounds really cool, actually. I hate being stuck between duty and anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's true. It was really good, really well narrated. Hmm. You know, again, like so many female narrators, the guys all kind of sound the same. Hmm. But you that's know. how we feel on the other end. Yeah, it oh, is. Yeah. It's a problem for <laughs> oh, no. both sides. So. I have I have heard horrible male voice actors doing females. When I listened to the Maltese Falcon, the guy who did it did every girl's voice very breathy and light, and uh, it just sounded that's awkward. That's how we sound. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know? Hmm. But Cinder, first book in a trilogy. Oh well. Wow. How think, many books are there right, out right now? I think all three finally came out. Nice. So it's a good time to so jump something on you it. could just consume. Get exactly. the first book for free by going to audibletrial.com forward slash geek life. And then you can check out the next couple for a 30% off or just get them as the as the wonderful credit comes around. It's like Christmas every, the first of every month. It's like, oh, yeah. bing. Okay, next credit. Find something to listen to. Your credit's here with suggestions. Screw the suggestions. What's my wish list? <laughs> yeah, next, right? <laughs> next, what's the biggest one I can get? Yeah, what's the longest one? I am cheap, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> 40 yeah. hours deal. <laughs> yeah. For 15 bucks? Yeah, yeah. Woot. Cool. So Cinder by what was the? Cinder by Marissa Meyer. Definitely have to check that one out. Thank you for your recommendation, Joe. Again, if you forgot already, you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash geek life and get a free audiobook download and one month of their excellent service. Cinder by Marissa Meyer is a really good place to start. Wait, so, I forgot the link again. One more. Audibletrial.com forward slash geek life. Audibletrial.com forward slash geek life. Okay. No, 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 no. Do, 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 do. So we are talking about hybrid earth. We talked about the story and the writing and, and the stories and the words as is already for a little bit. So why don't we go ahead and jump into the art of hybrid earth? Who'd like to go first, Marcus? 
<laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, well, okay. Thank I, you for volunteering. I'm, I'm a little biased because uh, Frederick's a good friend of mine, but it, when I first met so him... So it's going to be me who's tearing it apart today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, when I first met him and he started coming to the meetings, um, I was immediately... I'm sorry, I just sounded like you guys met him at AA or something. <laughs> <laughs> we put down our booze for a second. We, we drew some comics. No, I was I was pretty immediately struck by oh well, he's one of the more talented people sure. in, in this group. I know I know his his working style is so the art the art I, all of the art in the book is him. Yes, yeah, um, and I know that he doesn't draw uh, typical pages. He will draw small clippets of every every panel he wants, cut them out of the page, and then Photoshop them into one completed page. Interesting. It's a, yeah, it's a different process than what you know I normally do for my comic, but it works. I would never have guessed looking at the comic that that was the technique that he went by. It works mostly. What's mm-hmm. what's the objection for that, that method? Uh, the one with there his, is a particular panel, his beat up face, and the uh, guy behind him. Yeah, there's a particular panel, uh, and is it early on? Hold on. No, it's later in the book. I know what you're talking about. Well, that one. The half face one. Yeah. So that was one of the things I want to talk about later on. So why don't we just save that for later? But suffice it to say, it's it's like a love hate sort of relationship with that particular page because it's a great frame layout and a really mm-hmm. cool idea, but it falls flat on its face because of pro- uh, inconsistencies between the the drawing from one side to the other. Pun so. intended. <laughs> anyway, so no, I agree. I agree that with with that particular panel. But that's like, really like, interesting. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Things. But yeah. um, for the most part, I would say that um, it's very unconventional. Yeah, that, but, and you're right. That, it does it work. Works. Though. It does work. Yeah, because I I wouldn't have thought that was what he was doing just by looking at the pages. Well, I'm sure that there is a thumbnails that he's doing in some capacity. He's still planning things out. Oh, for sure. It's not just like, no, I'm just going to draw a bunch of pictures and squish them together somehow. I mean, it's very, it looks very on purpose, which is good. So how do you feel about, um, he has a very sort of sketchy style to his line. He doesn't do solid black lines so much as he... he... Now, okay, here's the question. Um, Since you know him personally, perhaps you can actually answer to the actual process. Does he ink or is it scanned pencil lines? You know, I don't... Because it looks like scanned pencil lines. I don't think it he does. inks. Frederick, if I'm wrong, you have to punch me in the face and come see me. You agree, Cody? Yeah, yeah. It does, it does look like scanned pencil lines yeah. just from... I mean, and that's not that's not a bad thing, not, right? Yeah, but you can, but it there's, is, yeah. it looks like that's what it is. That's tough to do. It would be tough to do with pen. So for me, A, I think it's mostly successful. I think that when you do scanned pencil lines, you run the real risk. Okay, okay. If you do scanned pencil lines... But it's not a black and white comic where the pencil is used to describe value, but the pencil is simply used to make contour and line. Then you run the real risk of having it look unfinished, sketchy would be another term that you use. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, this comes across as gritty more than unfinished and sketchy. Which can fit into the noir Which setting. fits very well. And so that's why I want to say that I would say 90% of it is very successful. The, the, the line art is very successful. However, there are a couple parts where there is some things that were perhaps over-described with the pencil, which is perfectly fine if that's all you're using to describe value. But when you're doing color to make color and value happen, and you're using lines to describe form, you're going to try, I mean, again, this again could be an artistic choice, but for me, I feel like line is meant to be as economical as possible. You, You say as much as possible with the least amount of lines. And then you can go into kind of indulging that complexity and description with things like color and value and stuff like that unless you're wanting to do black and white and then it's like go crazy you know hash marks you know whatever but to me it feels like it's this kind of 
hybrid of <laughs> whoa <laughs> no, but it feels like it's kind of this this hybrid of the two sort of ways of looking at things because it's clear that what he's done here is he has his line art and then he does colors on top of it and the colors are where the color obviously and then also the value comes in and so the line art isn't meant to be used to denote value and form and shape beyond suggesting it it is that kind of line art however there are and again, I say 90% of the time, not an issue. But there's a couple pieces here where the line art is used to over-describe a little bit more than is necessary, where it really could be done with, with something else or just be left out altogether. And at those times, being that when you describe more things like that, when you are doing things like, you know, sort of shaping things and adding value and whatnot with pencil, the pencil's lighter. And when you scan something in and at the end of the day, you you fiddle with it on the computer so that it's either black or white, so not something or nothing, then the lines that are lighter don't have a very clear look to them. They look kind of, you know what I mean? They look like scanned and uh, they look like scanned overexposed pencil drawings. And so unless you're defined and clear with your pencil drawings or you use your pencil drawing, you use pencil to make everything and you don't, you know, get that overexposure look then I think that you run into the problem that he runs into at places. But when I first opened up the book, I immediately, the first thing I look at is the line art. And I went, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, I saw that and I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to like this. And then I read through it and I really liked it. And there was only a couple places where it did what I was concerned it was going to do everywhere. And so I think that mostly it's very, very successful. And as he moves forward, I think it's only going to get more successful and sand off those rough edges. Would so, you say that the, normally this isn't your your favorite style of drawing, but with this particular story, it works for you? Totally. No, it totally the, works. And yeah, it, it, yeah. By the time that the the really garish colors kick in, when he, yeah, they're further into the, into the timeline, the kind of rough pencil art makes it look really gritty and... Like you said, really brings up a lot of old Blade Runner. Well, yeah, I mean, if you if you read, sorry, if you read old noir movies, that's what was coming next, you guys. <laughs> if you watch a lot of old noir movies, it becomes less and less about clearly defined individual forms like cutouts and more and more about just sort of the, the shape of everything sort of globuled together, if that makes any sense at all. I'm totally not using good terms here. This is at the fringes Globule? of my ability to describe things. No, I've read Grable in the dictionary. You're good. <laughs> globuled? <laughs> I think I used well, that guess, the other day. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty I guess sure what it was I'm a Maya Angelou is, poem. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that something that is in this realm uh, does a lot of... Um, too soon? <laughs> yeah, way too soon. Ouch, man. So, my bad. There's a cable car somewhere in San Francisco with your name on it. <laughs> that just happened. All right, so when you're doing something like this, something that is definitely heavily influenced by the sort of noir detective idea, that theme, that feel, there's less emphasis put on super huge amounts of detail and every single thing is totally perfectly explained with the art and it's more about like 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 a good noir film has way so much black in the entire screen and then just a couple things are just like the edge of the moon just barely described but it, that suggests everything else that's going on and if it's done well it works really well and so you don't need to have all the little nitty-gritty details like this one that we're looking at right here there's just half the side that is being lit of these different people's faces, except for the main character, who's got a brighter light on him and a different color light on him. But then around them, above their heads and beneath the table, it's all totally dark. I don't look at that and go, oh, man, that looks like he was just lazy and didn't draw all the rest of the detail of the background. It looks like, no, he's creating mood. 
which is what mm-hmm. that does and does very well. See, my perspective on that is that uh, I am lazy and I do not like drawing backgrounds. <laughs> and if I can, I know. if I can fudge it, I know. then I will. And so when I see another artist, or if who you can be like, "Hey, toner, just come up with something." Yeah, yeah. Hey, toner, just just fill this in. Just whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, if I see another artist who doesn't do a lot of uh, heavy backgrounds. Then my immediate assumption goes to, oh, they're like me. They're lazy. Sweet. But I mean, whether whether this was the clear intention to not have background art, uh, background art to make it more noirish, I don't know. It, I think that was definitely a decision. How much he took backgrounds out at times maybe was more than was necessary. But at the end of the day, that is a style and that is the style that he's going for. And I think it's successful. I think what really works, especially with those uh, background list panels, is... There's a lot of different lighting techniques throughout this comic. And the lighting is very successful, especially, man, especially that third page where the main character gets just just blown through something. The way that he has done the sunlight pouring into there. Oh, yeah. With the, Mm -hmm. as the character is flying through the air and then against the the air. With bricks flying through the air. And then the background against the wall, the character's shadow is cast. It's such a great shot. That's a really great shot. Yeah, yeah. That's probably one of the strongest panels in the entire comic. But I mean, because there's so many light sources and in such a dark environment, it's a dark story. It lends itself to the artist being able to be very, very creative. So like Link, for example, in all these dark panels. Link being his little robot buddy. Link has a light coming off of it. So there's almost always uh, a cast light on Xander from Link, if not anything else. There's most of the time multiple light sources, which is not something I envy him having to draw. Oh, no kidding. Especially in the club scene when there's different (laughs) colored light sources. And he's like... And they're moving, too. And they're moving, yeah. Yeah. What I would be curious to see is to see this printed on the old newsprint, where the garish colors were totally normal Mm -hmm. for like Mm -hmm. old comics. Uh, we were talking about this a while ago when we were looking at Wolverine. The, the giant Wolverine book that had all the great older Wolverine stuff. Specifically, we were talking about the, I want to say 86. 84. 84. You never get that right. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, the 80s well, well, run. Now, I don't know. Now you're not concerned. <laughs> Maybe it was 86. Whatever. Anyway. So the four issue The four issue miniseries where it was sort of Wolverine's maiden voyage on his own off mm-hmm. in Japan. That is amazing and looks great in the original comics but when you see it reprinted on the glossy glossy it looks like offensive how bright and colorful (laughs) it is it's because the colors i think were overstated when they Mm -hmm. sent them to the printer knowing that being printed on the kind of the with the techniques and on the kind of paper they were using it was going to mute everything a lot and so Mm -hmm. it came out looking the way they probably wanted it to look but then when you see them printed out later on with the more modern stuff it's kind of like oh God, that's bright and Why garish. Is everything oh, pink. Yeah, it's like it's all pink and fuchsia. There's <laughs> oh God, and so that's something that was interesting about this is that it was so bright and crazy that at moments I was like, I wonder what it would look like like that. But I think that instead of getting to that garish, unpleasant sort of level of colorful, it stays in that cool neon highlights that make us think cyberpunk, mm-hmm. and it still works. There's a couple pages that are just one color, all monochromatic. That normally I really like, and I liked it better when there was multiple colors. There's one panel in particular that I feel like the dark style of this comic didn't help, and it's when they first introduce you to the character of Calm, 
it took me a couple of pages to realize that he had been mutated with this satellite in his chest because everything is so dark in the first couple of panels that he's in. It just looks like other miscellaneous stuff around him sort of thing. And it's not until that he actually uses the, the power that comes with this mutation that he has that I actually like, oh, OK, that's a part of him. And it actually clicked. Well, in half half of the scene, he is sitting with like more than half of his satellite covered up by the table. Yeah. So you can't really oh, tell I thought that he well. was like grabbing a bar stool. No, that is a satellite. Satellite in his in stomach his... or chest. Okay. Or that took me too. Calm. I got a couple pages out. I was all, oh, that's what that is. That yeah, looks right. like, you know, he's sitting in a chair backwards. Yeah, that's probably uh. the biggest glaring character design flaw that I've seen in all of this. Otherwise, the characters are somebody I can really get behind. I like it. But I don't know, dude, the guy with the giant satellite in his stomach, it's just kind of like, really? Like, I, I really didn't like that, especially because it didn't work very well. It looks and feels clunky. Everyone else has interesting sort of more sleek Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it looks like metals growing out of their shoulder or something, but it it still still sort of assumes the human like shape. But that is just like and now something that we recognize that's electronic, just like mounted on something. Well, and you it's know just... how much calibration it takes to get any stations with the satellite <laughs> oh, yeah. alone. Right. So this guy's got to stand at the perfect spot to get, yeah. you know, boxing yeah. later. And he has yeah. to look in the app all the time. Right. To uh, angle no, himself. Two right? degrees to the left now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that, you know, on the subject of the characters, I like that uh, no two characters look alike. He did a really good job, I think, of yeah. differentiating. And Even the background characters that are just throwaway, you see for two panels and they're gone. Yeah, but they I mean, look like different people. And they're recognizable from one panel to the next, oh, yeah. too. And I feel like he had really good facial expressions throughout all of it. Like, I, you could tell what they were going through in that particular panel. And Definitely. It stuck out particularly with, with Calm, because Calm goes through a range of emotions when he goes from being interrogated to being the aggressor in the situation. Um, and that's, I thought it was conveyed really well with facial expressions. I think one final piece I wanted to say is that the effect of the nanobots is so cool. I can really visualize what that would really look like. It's a misty green cloud with ethereal type sparkly Firefox Faylight type stuff, just sort of sparkly shit. Like it's really, really well described. It looks really, really good. And I can just imagine what that would look like in, in real life or in a film or something like that. And that so successful. Really, I mean, like of all of the effects, that one was one that stood out to me in a big way, okay. and it's really, really strong. So now on to the the one panel that uh, <laughs> that gets you. Mm -hmm. Well, no. So one of the Two things panels, that really. I actually really like about this comic is the the frame layouts are really good and very successful. And he has a lot of the frame layouts that I really like, which remind me of some of the old Eastman and Laird Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff, where there's a lot of really wide rectangles mm. that span the entirety of one page not a double wide but span the entirety of one page and the entire page is just a bunch of those wide you know almost double pa double panel width and he has a lot of that where it's just the whole page bam 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 you know like the last one it's just boom 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 three wide very you know pleasantly wide panels done that way and it's not easy to make those work because sometimes you can feel like man i've got all this extra space but he uses it well and it's really striking you know anytime it... that the image is big like that, mm. it's powerful. That's why we're drawn to double page spreads. That's why we're drawn to splash pages. Mm. It's because when you a frame is big or when there's no frame and it's all one image, it's striking. And so in a comic to do something that basically spans the entire width of the page several times on one page is not only ambitious, but often difficult. And so I think that that is something I really like about it. And so when I noticed that, I immediately thought I'm going to pay attention to the frame pacing and the layout of this book very carefully moving forward because I already like what he did in the beginning 
and it's ambitious and successful, which is not often a good co- a combination that happens. A lot of the time it's, you know, one or the other. Mm-hmm. And as I'm going through, there's this one panel. So it's our main character, Xander's face, and it's split. And it's a, it's a great shot because he basically has a fellow police officer dogging him, just talking smack as he's walking past him. So on the left panel, it's the guy talking to him, complaining about like, oh, you merely messed this up, Hastings. And then on the right panel, it's him, the same guy that was to the left of his character, on the right of his character, walking off scene. Yeah, moment to moment. uh... Moment to moment. Right. It's almost like a film, right? Mm -hmm. And what was interesting is that the panel, the two panels are split right down the middle of his face. And it's a really cool idea. It's a great way to describe the character moving behind him, moving through, moving through space. And it has just a great feel to it. It's a very ambitious and interesting panel. However, it's like you said, clear that he drew one and then the other. Were this on all on one page, he would have drawn the face for the character through the panel lines and then would have cut the panel right in the middle and it would have been clear. But there's this odd sort of shifting and it's close enough that it looks like he was going for it to be as if it was just cut of one picture, but it's not successful. It's warped, it's twisted, it's a little off. And were it to be really different, like really pulled aside, like he's looking one way, then looking the other way and the other one, it would have been like, okay, cool, but he's still in the same position, the background is still in the same place, the stools and the benches and the bars or whatever that you can see are still there, but the character is walking behind him, because that character walking behind him thing is really cool. And to have the character's face in front of him as that center point where everything else is moving around it is great. But the character's face from panel to panel, it doesn't look like if you, you know, filled in the space between those panels with what should be there, it wouldn't look right. He'd be well, warped. The problem is that it's a, it's a asymmetrical. One, one half of the face is bigger than the other half. Yeah. So it doesn't mm-hmm. look even. Um, if, like you said, if you were to fill that in, he would have a, a larger one half. Of yeah, however, it's cut other. right down the middle. Yeah. You know, were he to, I mean, realistically, if you were to take some of the, and this is getting, you know, I don't know if it's really worth going to this. You can't <laughs> see what I'm talking about. But were he to move the left panel, which is larger than the right panel, and basically shift the image a little bit and cover up some of his face, that might work better somehow. But it's just, it just didn't work out, which is really too bad because it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. It is a great idea. And that's what's hard about doing something ambitious is that it's like, it stands out because it's a cool idea, but if it doesn't work, it really stands out. Mm-hmm. But like I said, what's tricky is when you do something that is ambitious like that, when it's successful, it really stands out. But when it's not successful, it also really stands out because it's an ambitious, interesting piece that draws your eyes to it. And so as a reviewer of, of indie comics, right, we're always talking about indie comics around mm-hmm. here. I've developed a capacity to be very flexible and, and willing to be like, that's a cool idea. And what that means to me is that this guy's got cool ideas, regardless of how successful this current one was. To me, that means like, this is someone to pay attention to. This is something to support because that's what indie comics are about. That's what independent art is about. It's not they've arrived because it wouldn't be independent if they had arrived. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not they're not at the peak of their career. That's not how it works. And so when you're looking at someone who's putting out an independent comic and they do ambitious, challenging, cool shit, and it works mostly and sometimes doesn't work, that means that it's a super successful comic for me. That all being said, the the objection that we have is to uh, an unsuccessful execution on a very successful idea of yep. two panels of 20 plus pages 
worth of artwork, the, totally. most of which is really, really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you asked me yeah. to explain what my perspective on it, and you wanted me to go into it. Yeah. So there. Me. Yeah. yeah. No, my takeaway is this comic is freaking awesome and yeah. way worth reading. Lots of potential. Totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, not just potential. This comic is entertaining and interesting in and of itself and makes me want to read the next one. I liked reading it. And this artist and writer is super potential. Lots and lots of potential. That's I mean like it's cool right now, but it's you can tell that it's not fully realized yet. And mm-hmm. when it does, it's kind of like look out. That's yeah. exciting. Any final thoughts about this comic, you guys? Just that I'm, you know, I'm waiting for the next one to come out to see what happens with the story. You know, so where can we find this then? Uh, well, I know you can find them at Empire Comics Vault in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. You might be able to find more information about it at scatteredcomics.com. Okay, so we will put some links in the show notes to where you can find more about this comic. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of information about where they are because we just bought the comic off the rack and didn't have a chance to talk to the creator and write down all of the particulars. But go ahead and look into the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. So we were talking about Hybrid Earth by... Rustin, dude, I'm really sorry. I just butchered your name this entire podcast. Um, I'm going to say Rustin Pizzle and Frederick Allison Jr. And you can definitely pick it up at Empire Comics Vault in Sacramento, California, as well as look at scatteredcomics.com for more information. information. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We always love to hear from our listeners. If you guys have any ideas, comments, suggestions, anything, you can email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com. You can also go to the podcast.pandamanga.com page and there is a form on the right side you can fill out and send us a little email as long as you're intelligent enough to answer a captcha music has been provided by air plus recordings as always links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com if you'd like more information about the air plus recordings visit airplusrecordings.com this is marcus and we'll see you next time just want to take a second and say thanks for coming on to the podcast you guys no problem. Yeah, That's fun. You guys get to see what Cousin Joe does with his free time. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hang out in the attic of a comic book store. Yeah, with some awesome music going on next time. Some seriously yeah. hardcore mariachi happening right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And, and Marcus, why don't you take us out? If you'd like more information about Air Plus Recordings. No, just say my... <laughs> no, I want to say the whole thing, but in my sexy voice. If you'd like more information about Air Plus Recordings, please visit airplusrecordings.com. This is Marcus, and we'll see you next time. Why is your sexy voice like a radio announcer? That's what my sexy voice is. Uh, Geneva's a lucky girl. We'll see you guys next time.
for that entire month, you get 30% off of their giant kettle. Oh my god. I haven't said this in a long time. You said kettle corn. <laughs> I got a little hungry in the middle of that speech. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Audible kettle corn. 